I'd like us to take some time and just meditate on the God we just worship. There's a passage that I was reading the other day, and it, it, it was so powerful for me with some of the stuff I was dealing with. And, um, you know, just kind of starting to worry about a lot of stuff. And then I just meditate on this passage and just like, oh, I got nothing to worry about. And I don't know what kind of week you've had and what you've been dealing with, but I, I, I really believe that meditating on God and who he is, not meditating on your problems and how he might fix it, but just meditating on him, that alone really does solve all our problems. It really does. It is that simple. And so I, I want us to look at this verse and look at it together. Um, it's out of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse uh, 15 and 16. It says, God... The blessed and only ruler, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. And just as I was uh, looking at each of those phrases and thinking about this being who possesses all of that, God, okay, we're not talking about a person, we're not talking about you and I, we're talking about this being in heaven that we call God, who is blessed, it says God the blessed and only ruler. See, I I usually don't think of God being blessed, I think about myself being blessed, right? And then you think about you being blessed, I mean, being happy, and, 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 you know, that's in its truest form, the simplest way to, to express that word blessed is happy, you know, satisfied, content, but to think of God... Being blessed. God's happy right now. He's infinitely blessed. You can't change that. You know, you come to me and say, hey, how are you doing? And I can tell you, yeah, I'm pretty good today. You don't have to come to me and say, hey, how's God today? <laughs> He's good. He's good. He's blessed. Infinitely blessed. Nothing can change that. And he is the only ruler. I love that phrase. That, that means no one has any power outside of what God allows them to have. There may be other people who appear to be in power right now. But the Bible explains, no, they only have power because God allows that. And God puts different people in different positions. And sometimes we question some of his judgment and go, why would you allow someone with with that amount of evil? I mean, we all have some evil, but it seems like he has too much, you know. And, 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 you know, why is he there? Why is he there? And yet it's all for the glory of God. It's all this one big picture, one big story at the end where he gets all of the glory. And so he is really the only ruler. The Bible says that he's the king of kings. The idea is that, uh, that that doesn't mean a whole lot to us today because we don't really have a king in America, right? You know, after Elvis died, it's this idea of back in their day, though the king was a huge, 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 huge position. You know that by studying history. But just let me remind you of the way they would revere a king because of his power. Suppose I were king. Suppose I were the king, okay? Don't laugh. Okay, suppose I were the king. If you, that means when you walked into this room, into my presence, you wouldn't even look me in the eye. In fact, you would hide your face because you would not feel worthy enough for me to look upon you. And I know some of you already feel that. But if I, if, if I were king... It'd be even more so, okay. But it's this idea of, okay, that is the king, that is the ruler, and you would just walk in and you wouldn't, you know, unless he allowed you to lift up your face because you, you're not worthy to have his eyes look upon you. That, you're not worthy of that. 
And so you have these kings who are used to, I mean, imagine being a king and you're used to that type of treatment where people are so in awe of you that they won't even look you in the face or, or, or you wouldn't even have to look them in the eye and you wouldn't feel like they were worthy enough. And then the Bible says that he's the king of all of those kings. That all those kings, no matter how powerful they are, they suddenly have to come before God and they're not worthy to look upon him or to be looked upon. The Bible says that the king's heart is like channels of water and God directs it wherever he pleases. That means God can change the heart of a king. It's up to him. It's almost like in some ways, I mean, obviously they they make their choice and everything else, but in, in many ways they're puppets. God directs their hearts however he pleases. He can do whatever he wants. He's the only ruler. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. No one has dominion. That's what Lord means. Whether you have dominion over your land or your servants, you know, it's no one really has dominion. Only he does. He's the Lord of all of those lords. He alone is immortal. You ever think about that? That there's only one being, only one being who exists that has life within himself. Death has no effect on him. It's, it's, the literal word is deathlessness. See, all of us are wondering, when's, when's it going to happen? Any, any minute, any moment. And then there's one being who possesses life, who alone is immortal. And he gives us, when he gives us his immortality, but it's him giving it to us. We depend on him for our survival. Do you realize that Satan is only alive right now, only exists because God is allowing him to exist right now? All of the demons, all of the angels, the whole spiritual realm, every human being, every animal is only in existence because God is allowing them existence. You're only here because God has allowed you another day, but he alone, he's the only one who's in charge of life. So you got this one being who rules everything, created everything, is in charge of all life. King of kings, Lord of lords, and he lives in unapproachable light. The psalmist in Psalm 104 says that he wraps himself in light. In, in Revelation 22, it talks about how when, when we go to heaven at the end, in heaven there's no night because God dwells there. And there's no need for a lamp or a sun or a moon because God himself, his light, the light he gives off, constantly illuminates the whole place but he dwells in a light that's unapproachable whom no one has seen or can see unapproachable light it's kind of like the sun think about this you know how you can't even stare at the sun and it's 93 million miles away so I can't look, I can't approach, I can't look at this light that's 93 million miles away And that's just one star that God created. When you think about his unapproachable light, just look at his creation for a moment. This one ball of fire that's 93 million miles away that I can't look upon. I mean, one of how many millions and millions of stars. And and, and that star, while the sun is hot, it burns at 11,000 degrees, 11,000 degrees Fahrenheit. There are stars that burn at 250,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And all of them come from one source who dwells in this unapproachable light. And that's why no human being has ever even seen God. 
Some have had visions. Some have been taken in their spirits up into heaven. But no human being, he told Moses, you can't look at me. No man can look at me and live. There's a being like that right now. That's who we were just singing to, that God of wonders we were singing to. It was him who alone rules, dwells in unapproachable light. That's why at the end of our lives, when the Bible talks about these new bodies we will get, this, this week, uh, one, of, one, of our, uh, one of our the ladies in our church uh, passed away, um, Stephanie, Stephanie Richard. And, uh, and I was there with her teenage son and daughter. And we were just talking about it this week when, her, when she passed away, just going, wow. She's, she's like in a different existence. It's completely different now. I, I, I can't even imagine this. What is she feeling? What is she experiencing See, when we talk about, you know, we go, this new body that we get, we go, oh, I can't wait and go to heaven. I get a new body. My back won't hurt. I can eat carbs again. I, you know, <laughs> on and on, whatever. You guys, that is not what the new body is about. The new body is so that you can look upon God without your eyes melting. The new body is so you can hear his voice without your eardrums bursting. The new body is that we can stand in the presence of a holy God without our whole bodies just disintegrating. Because there's this being that no one has seen or can see who dwells in unapproachable light. And the Bible says to him, be honor and might forever. Amen. See, and when I start to look at God, just take my eyes off of everything else in life and think, so there's a being up there who no one can approach, no human being can approach, who's in charge of everything, everything, the only ruler who alone is immortal, who alone dwells in this unapproachable light, who alone deserves all the honor and might forever. Suddenly my problems didn't seem so big when I started to realize if that God is for me, who can be against me? It's like I, I had lunch last week with a friend of mine um, who was telling me, he goes, I love my prayer times in the morning. He goes, because every time I'm done praying, I walk away going, nothing can hurt me. Is that the way you leave your prayer times where you go, what's going to go wrong? There's this perfectly content, the blessed God, the only ruler who alone is immortal, dwells in unapproachable light. He's a king of kings, Lord of lords. And he's my friend. He's my father. I'm his child. I just want to take us, I just want us to take some time to give him honor. And uh, we're going to do this by, not by singing to him, but just not saying anything to him, but just thinking about him. The Bible says that he's in heaven, we're on earth, and we should let our words be few. And sometimes we should just stand in awe of God. So could you just bow your heads right now? And I'm not asking you to pray to him. I just want you to acknowledge that he's there. I want you to think about the fact that you're on this little planet and up in heaven right now is a God who sits on his throne, who dwells in unapproachable light, who alone is immortal, and he's giving you life and he's enabling you to think about him. So think about him right now.
God, thank you for letting us know you and talk to you and be associated with you and that kind of power. And then to be called your children for those of us who believe in your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for letting us have relationship with you and worshiping you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In the next verse, right after he says this about giving him glory, the next verse says, command those who are rich, that's us, in this present world not to be arrogant. It's pretty hard to be arrogant after focusing on God, isn't it? I mean, how many people feel pretty big right now? You know, still a couple of you, okay. All right, um... You can go keep meditating then. Uh, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. He goes, so what if you got a bunch of stuff? You know, it's real easy. It's really easy when you have a lot of stuff, when you've been successful, to be arrogant. To think that you're better than someone else. And yet you dwell on God and you're still there. Um. When you realize that you're only alive because he allows you to be alive. He says, command those who are rich. We're going to be the hardest. We're going to deal with this more than most of the world. Being arrogant. Just by nature of who we are and where we've been placed and the things we have. And that's why he says, command them not to be rich. Not not to be rich. Not to be arrogant. Nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God. Again, after dwelling on God and who he is and how much power he possesses, isn't it foolish then to put your hope in riches, which are so uncertain, or to put your hope in your wealth? I mean, so you've got a choice between putting your hope in that being or putting your hope in the stock market or your real estate or your bank account, when there's one being who determines life and is in charge of everything on this earth, he says, put your hope in him. Tell the rich, be careful. It's a trap. You can easily feel secure because of your stuff. Because in your house, you can control the climate. You control who comes in, who comes out. You can maybe get the best medical care and everything else. You can afford the best doctors. And you start feeling like, oh, okay, I'm okay now. I'm okay now. I got good insurance. I got this, I got that. And he goes, don't tell them do not put your hope in that put your hope in god he's the only ruler he's the only one's in charge of life in god who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment god doesn't just why, why do you have all this stuff god gave it to you he richly provided you these things he didn't just give you your necessities he gave you things to enjoy and you know it's okay to enjoy what god's given you You guys realize that? I don't want you to feel guilty every time you have fun. Every time you, you know, spend something on yourself. You don't want to feel guilty for that. You want to enjoy. There are times when you can enjoy the things that God has given you. And there's other times when I think we've spent things and we go, I don't feel real good about that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have spent that. But there's other times when, and I can't explain that for you. I can't tell you when you've made a bad choice financially. Um, just like you can't tell me. That's why if you see me at Starbucks, don't go, hey, you could have gone to AMPM. You know, don't. 
You, you know, there will be times when you just go, no, I, I'm okay with this. I'm okay being here, enjoying this, whatever it may be. You know, because God, God has blessed us and He's given us things for our enjoyment. The, the thing we have to, to keep, keep in mind is, is the next verse. Because he also says in verse 18, he says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. Okay, that's, that's a bigger question is, is not whether or not you should have bought that shirt. Could you have bought a cheaper one or whatever else is, are you known for being rich in good deeds? Not, not so much. Are you known for that? Is that who you are? You just do a lot of good things. You're rich in good deeds. And not only that, but to be generous and willing to share. Are you generous? And, and this doesn't mean you have to be rich to be generous. Because you know who the most generous people I've met are? Are some of these people in third world countries. I, I've been floored. I am so humbled when, you know, we'll bring a food pack, you know, from Children's Hunger Fund, and you'll bring it into a house, into a mud hut, into a little, you know, cardboard box, you know, and these people, knowing you're coming, have a meal prepared for you. And you go, are you kidding me? And stuff most of you would, and I do too, look at it and go, well, I don't really want to eat that, you know. And yet at the same time, you look at their faces and the joy because they just wanted to share with you. And you just are so humbled and so broken. And you go, are you kidding me? I, I came here to help you and you want to provide this for me? You, you, you killed one of your chickens? I mean, th- this is your prized possession. I'm just giving you some this little box of food that is nothing to me. And you're... You guys, it's not about being rich. In fact, if you you look around the world, you'll see that if you look at giving averages, it's those who are in poverty, those who have less, that give a larger percentage of their income than those who are rich. And that's why the Bible says, command those who are rich to be generous and willing to share. It's weird. You would think the people with more stuff would be more freely giving. It's just not that way. And he says, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Why does God want us to do this? Why is he commanding the rich? He says, because there is a life that's coming. Okay, this this is not this is not everything. What you're experiencing here on earth, me talking, you, you know, listening and touching, feeling the way we do right now. This isn't everything. This is such a small, small moment in time. And then comes eternity. But what we do here with our possessions now could lay a foundation for the future. So why is God telling us to be generous and give to the poor around the world to care for the people in need? Is it to make us feel guilty whenever we enjoy something? Is it to feel guilty about what we have? Is it to ruin our fun? No, the Bible tells us right here exactly why he commands us to do this. He says, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Man, I love that. Why why is God telling us to be generous? Why is God saying, hey, love all these other people and give to them as much as you can? Why? So that we can have treasures in heaven and so that we can take hold of the life that is truly life. You like that phrase? 
life that's truly life. Because we'll watch commercials that'll tell us what life is all about, right? This is the life. Sitting on the beach, holding a Corona, right? This is the life. And then down comes the Swedish bikini team. You know what? Whatever. This is, ah, does it get any better than this? And yet, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? It says, this is life that's truly life. When you learn that it's, it's fun to indulge, right? Let's, let's face it. It's fun to buy stuff and, you know, and get stuff for ourselves. But he says, there's a life that comes from giving. A life that's truly life. You experience what it's like to give to someone else and improve their lives. That's the stuff that builds you up. That's the stuff that stores up for you personally through your whole life. You never regret that. And you start enjoying and you take hold. That, that word take hold is to grab. It's, it's to get a grip. You know, the Bible is saying get a grip on what life is really about. What true life is about. Get a grip on the fact that at any moment your life on earth is going to be over. And then you're going to take hold of the life that's truly life. Eternity. Forever. He goes, make sure these people get this. That it's not about this time on earth. Okay, this is a joke compared to what's going to come. That's the life that's truly life and you've got to get it. You know, there's, there's usually a, a little old lady that sits right up here. You guys took her seat. But um, her, name is, uh, her name is Velma, Velma Phillips. And she passed away last week. And uh, Velma, though, you, you talk about a person who's taken hold of life. You talk about a person who has lived out a legacy. Velma, she's been a widow for 49 years. Okay, she's, she's 90, she was, I think, 92. Don't quote me on that. But uh, she and her husband helped a guy when they were younger. They helped a guy named Bill Bright who started Campus Crusade for Christ. They helped him start that. She and her husband also helped another gentleman named Bob Pierce who started World Vision. Her and her husband also helped another kid named Billy Graham um, start the first Billy Graham crusade. I mean, so she's just like, are you kidding me? Her kids went into ministry. In fact, you heard from one of her sons a couple weeks ago, Keith Phillips, who runs World Impact. That's her son. That's one of her sons. Others went into ministry too. Some of you know her grand, one of her grandsons, Dave Phillips, who runs Children's Hunger Fund. Okay, you may know one of her 63 great-grandchildren, okay, who are just like a stinking army um, (laughs) for the Lord, who just love God. You see the passion in some of these great-grandkids and you go, are you kidding me? I'm, I'm sitting at this funeral looking at all this going, I've never seen someone leave such a legacy. And sure enough, on the bottom, please don't don't give flowers. If you want to make a donation, don't make it to the Phillips family. Give it to World Impact to help the inner city kids. See, people who take hold of life. In a couple hours in this room, I'll be doing the funeral for Stephanie Richard. Marlon is one of our ushers here. And uh, Stephanie went to Ethiopia with us a couple years ago and got involved and saw the Mossy Foot region. You know, the people we help out that have the elephantiasis on their feet. And... Uh, Again, you'll look on the funeral program today and it'll say, don't give flowers, give to the Mossy Foot Project. 
Well, I mean, these people who, who now are in eternity, now are, have seen the God that we haven't seen yet, and now we're going to experience the life eternity, now experience the real life, the life that's truly life. They got it while they were here on this earth. And they understood, and even at their death, they're giving, they're giving, they're giving. Why? Because that's the life that's truly life. That's a life you won't regret. And so can we enjoy the things we, we have? Absolutely. But we got to keep in mind, our calling is to take hold of the life that's truly life and the eternal life. And that's why as a church, we changed our spending habits and said, let's not just reflect it personally. Let's do it as a church. And that's why everything you give, half of it goes out now. And, uh, and why in uh, this year we're increasing our outgoing giving as a church from $1.5 million to $4 million. Um, that's why this week, I got to tell you about a decision the elders have made. This week we've decided um, that in our budget we are going to give a million dollars to Children's Hunger Fund um, this year. Those of you who aren't familiar with the Children's Hunger Fund, let me tell you why we're giving them such a substantial amount. Because we as elders thought, you know what, we're looking at the way they've always spent their money and they could do it more wisely than we could right now. Why would we try to figure out all these places to give when here's an organization that's doing it so well? Um, we give the Children's Hunger Fund because of their philosophy. Um, they are very in, in line with, with us where they love the local church. When they distribute food, they don't just drop it off, um, drop it a, a container off and just walk away. They distribute food through the local churches. And so the local church pastors and congregation members in these third world countries will take the food and then pass it out to the poor. So this way, they're not just giving them food. They're giving them relationship and love. They're telling them about Jesus and they're building relationships with these people as they give them food. The other reason why we give the Children's Hunger Fund such an exorbitant amount is because they were rated by Forbes magazine as the most efficient relief agency in all of America. Over 99% of everything they get goes directly to the poor. Only about 0.4, of a percent goes to overhead. And so we go, you know what? This is a great investment. Um, I've traveled with them. I've seen them. I'm on the board. I'm looking at everything they do. And, and, uh, and, and we've experienced it. Many of you guys have served over at Children's Hunger Fund or have taken trips overseas with them. And we go, you know what? They could spend it wisely. And I asked Dave, what would you spend it on? Um, what would Children's Hunger Fund spend it on? And he gave me a list what this million dollars is going to help them do. Uh, in Egypt, it's going to provide 1.2 million meals um, and help them establish their mercy network. So there's a church base that they work with in Egypt, and they're actually going to a lot of these Muslim areas to the poor in Jordan, Syria, Yemen, um, Kurdish Iraq, Morocco, and to the Sudanese refugees in Spain. Um, in India, it's going to help these five uh, church planters set up these networks to uh, pass stuff out. Uh, in Philippines, there's a network of 300 churches in the slums that we're going to be sending this stuff out to. Um, in Cambodia, there's 5,600 orphan children, and this will help supply them with the daily uh, nutritional supplements as well as food. Also in Cambodia, they, they just opened a medical center, Children's Hunger Fund did, a medical center to help those, uh, those young girls that work in the garment factories um, that would never have any care. They, they do now. 
um, in Ukraine. It's going to help supply 1.5 million meals to uh, children in orphanages. In Ghana, West Africa, another half million meals. Other countries where they're just starting this and hoping to do it this year are Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, Peru, Eastern Uganda. In fact, uh, Jose Luis, who's starting our Spanish ministry right now, is in Nicaragua and Guatemala helping to establish some of these networks so we have churches down there to then start sending the food out. And it's just, it's just fun. They're, they're, they're also looking to start another hub in Ensenada. Not just a place to distribute food, but a, a, like another children's hunger fund, like an actual distribution center so that they can actually have stuff from Mexico in that base and send it out to the poorer countries, poor areas of the country. Um, and then they, they just had a building donated to them in Chicago. And so they've opened up another distribution center in Chicago to hit more of the U.S. and in the impoverished areas in the U.S. as well. And so, I, you know, when Dave sent that and, and, and realized in the heart of the elders going, you know what, we want to give so much to this this year as a church. I just get excited being a part of a church like that. I just go, you know what, this is, this is the place I want to be. If this is what we're committed to, right on. We are called to love the world. Now, um, with our building, we also want our new building to reflect this heart for the world. And so you guys know we've been working on this building project for a while over there off of Tierra Rajada. Let's show them the land, the slide of the land, just in case you guys don't know where it is. It's right by the Ronald Reagan Library, um, right below it. The Ronald Reagan Library, that's a big uh, square on the top, is that Air Force One thing. And so this is off of Tierra Rajada. Um, it's the property to the left of, the, of this dirt road. And um, it's about 140 acres um, which normally an acre goes for a million bucks. Um, 140 acres here we, we're getting for $5 million. And uh, so this is, uh, this is the project we've been looking at. Some of you have been giving. It's allowed us to give, get all the environmental surveys and to you know, look for endangered rats and everything. You, you'd be amazed at how many things you've got to go through. And so we've been in this process for the year, and we believe we have a, we have a game plan. I know. I know, it's very important, those rats. Um, but here's the thing. In a, in a moment, okay, because we've needed room, okay? You guys know that. We've needed room. This service is ridiculous. You know, a bunch of you in the multi-purpose room. And now we're going to start a Spanish church. And it's like, okay, we haven't been able to grow in about five years. We've been maxed out. And so we really haven't been reaching out to the community, doing anything. We need more room. We need to grow. And you also saw financially, when we grow... The finances grow, and so does our support all around the world to the people who are in need. And so it's just wise. So we came up with a plan, and I'm going to show you it in a second, but I also am going to tell you that we're not going to do it, okay? And, and I'm going to explain why. We are going to do something, but we're not going to do this exact plan I'm going to show you. And the reason was, after seeing the plans, um, it just didn't sit well with me. And it didn't sit well with the leadership. And it was a $60 million plan. And it uh, sounds like a lot of money, because it is. Um, and I, I believe that we can do it a lot cheaper. And there's some creative things we can do um, and still grow. And it means a little bit of sacrifice on our part. Um, but I, I think we'd be excited to do it because of what it will accomplish. So let me show you the plan, realizing this isn't what we're going to do. <laughs> I'll show you the real plan later. But here, here it is. Here's, here's what we had. Okay. Yeah. 
We titled it Chanville. Um, um, no. Honestly, you guys, when I saw it, I, I literally, it literally made me sick. Like, and, and, and you guys, please, please, please understand, I am not judging other churches that do this. Because I've spoken at churches like this. And I've visited churches like this that are doing great things in our, their community. And this is kind of the natural progression. And so for us, the next step should naturally look like this. If you ask any church growth expert or whatever, this is a perfect plan. It's just I don't think it's cornerstone. And I know it's not me. I just don't believe it's our heart. Um, go on, go ahead to the next one. This is kind of a closer up. So that gives you a little more detail of what it would look like. Um, you know, if we want that. It just doesn't, doesn't that just not feel like us? You know, I mean, we're like, we got the white trash building for the kids over there. That's us. You know, no, no, <laughs> no, I, we're, we're going to make that a little bit better. But, but you guys know what I mean. It's, it's like, come on, that's not me. That's not us. And especially with the concern for the world, we came up with another plan that would cut this uh, project in about half, um, where we'd still have some of the buildings and everything else. Um, but let me, before I show you those, I want to show you a video that we made explaining why we're not going with that project and why instead we want to be a church that's known for giving to the poor. Others play blind, show true religion 
of what our money could do around the world and that's why we decided you know what let's let's cut the spending here we don't need that type of luxury um so here's what we're looking at building um some buildings but here's our new sanctuary okay it's uh An outdoor amphitheater. This isn't complete because we're looking at these. Uh, they have these like canvas things that help keep the sun out. Um, They're like sails almost up there. And uh, that actually seats about 5,000 people. Okay. What if the world saw the world, the unbelieving world, saw a bunch of Christians meeting outside for an hour a week? in order to provide, lay down, you know, even if it's a hot day, and go, man, what are all those people doing on that hot day out there? Well, they did that so that they could give more to the people around the world. Um, see, to me, that's a light. When we say, you know what, I'll lay down some of my rights, my luxuries for the needs of people around the world because the money can go so far and feed so many people who are just as important as I am. There'll still be some buildings, as you'll see in the next shot, you'll see the... Um, See, in the back, that's the outdoor amphitheater. And so in the front, and this won't look exactly like this. It's just a portion of some of the buildings where uh, we can have the children. Uh, some of you can't be in the sun because of medical conditions. There'll be places for people like that. There'll be um, nursery and, and stuff like that and, and places for, for midweek things. Um, but by doing that, it's, it's going to cut everything in about half. It'll be about 25 to $30 million. We can sell this property for about $10 million. So then it becomes like a 15 to $20 million project. And, uh, okay, and we're not showing you the next slide yet because i got to explain it first. This is where it gets so exciting that I should get a bucket because I might throw up. This is like, <laughs> you guys, Dave Phillips and I were talking the other day. It was during that week of prayer. And seriously, I got so excited I wanted to scream. But I was in the middle of Starbucks. Sorry. But uh, I just got water. He got a coffee, though. Um, <laughs> But uh, we were there and we just started talking about the property. And here's something that we've talked to the elders about and everything else. We're looking at donating a portion of the land to build the new headquarters for Children's Hunger Fund. And uh, here's the thing is it would triple their ability to, uh, to, to, to send things around the world by, by tripling the, the warehouse space. 
It would be a place where they would have a volunteer center where people would come and help package the food to go out. It would also have an interactive learning center where the community would walk in to learn about the poor and how they live around the world. They'd build, build like a you know, cardboard or plywood house or a mud hut, and you could actually experience it, maybe taste the food, see videos, see stats all over the place. This way, elementary schools can take field trips over there to learn how the rest of the world lives. I mean, is that awesome? And uh, you guys, oh, And to have them right next to the church where people walk out of CHF and look behind and go in. And that's a church that doesn't have a sanctuary because they're so concerned about people around the world. And uh, this is a place where not only are we training the future missionaries and, and pastors at our college, but we're also training people for mercy networks. And, and, and it's just, gosh, the whole light to the community and the marriage and everything. And... Uh, and not only that, but also another front portion, we're looking at donating to the city and, and, and building soccer fields because that's something Simi Valley needs more of. And so now we're giving to our community as well and creating soccer fields for the city, you know, kind of a park-type area. We're having Children's Hunger Fund there, and we become this hub where we're sending relief all around the world from this one location. The Reagan Library was asking about some of the hilly area that we couldn't build on anyways. Could they use it for riding trails possibly in the future? And it's like, yeah, may we give you that? We'll give this to the city. We'll give that the Children's Hunger Fund. We'll take the smaller section, you know, this section in the middle. It's still going to be massive, you know, and, and be able to minister to five, 6,000 people at a time. Um, I just, here's, here's a, kind of an over, overview, kind of a layout of what the property will, will look like. And, and keep in mind, this is about 50 or so acres of it. The rest of our hills, um, that bottom right corner, that whole building right there in the bottom right is uh, would be child, that's Children's Hunger Fund, um, and then next to that, I'm sorry, it's your bottom left is Children's Hunger Fund, and then to the right of that are the soccer fields, the city, all that gray stuff is parking, um, and then there's a few of those those I know because we got to have like 2,000 parking spots or something like that, or a little more than that, and then. Uh, those orange buildings back there are like the Sunday school classrooms and everything else. And then right in the center of that back part, um, the middle back is uh, where those little trees that make kind of a semicircle. That's the outdoor amphitheater. And then we still have rooms for fields and park, whatever, in the back. We haven't figured it out yet. But that would be the new property. Is that just a rush? You know? So... Uh, Never in my life I ever dreamed that I could be a part of something that big, you know. But I have never been so excited to uh, to be pastor here at the church, and uh, never been as excited about a vision um, just to have a church and a children's hunger fund and a donation to the city, and just to have this one hub that literally—I mean, this literally will change the world. This literally, I believe this. If we pull this off, I said to Dave that day, I go, you know what? If if we pull this off. If Cornerstone pulls this off, I will die a happy man. Seriously, you know what? Because this is something worth dying for. This is where I go, you know what? This will change the world. This will set an example to the rest of the, wor- rest of, the world of how Christians ought to live. Uh, and I don't mean that in an arrogant way or anything else. I'm just going, man, if we can pull this off, 
I just think, you know what, this is, this is what God's called the church to do and to be a true light into the community. A true light where even someone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ can look and respect what is being done. And it says, and they'll give glory to their Father in heaven. I believe it reflects the heart of God that uh, the church for too long has been known as takers. People that want their money or want something from them. And we want the church to be known as givers because that's who God is. You know, that's what Jesus did. Um, and so I, I'm not going to bore you with a lot of the potential roadblocks because, as you know, in a project this size, there will be many of roadblocks. We think we've got most of them handled, but uh, there, there's still plenty, plenty, plenty of things that could go wrong. Um, and I don't tell you about all the different government officials because there's really only one person in charge, right? You know, and um, we learn that and say, you know what, you're the only ruler. You're going to determine what decisions they make. And so what, what do we need to do then? Exactly. And so we'll be having another week of prayer coming up here um, right before Easter to pray for the property, pray for Easter services, pray for this future, um, and just come before God. And I tell you, we tell you all this stuff because we want you to be praying right now. But the other thing, too, is we're going to need you to do more than clap and more than get excited because uh, we need your wallets. Okay, we... we uh, <laughs> And that's the stuff, you guys know, man, I am not good at that. We've never done a building fund campaign, that type of thing, and I really don't want to, okay? Here's what I like, because the truth is, is, okay, here's our goal. Our goal is to present it to the county this month, okay? To present this whole project. I think we've done enough of the background work. We're going to still shore up some things, but bring it before them, and it'll be a process that we go through with them, and... Um, we were, our goal is to break ground uh, this time next year. Um, that means actually purchasing, because we're in escrow, but the lady has been uh, kind enough to let escrow carry out until that day. Um, so we don't really have to pay a whole lot to keep this going. Um, she's been incredibly generous to us. And uh, so next March, though, we'd have to come up with the $5 million for the land. And we'd like to pay for that rather than take a loan on that so that we can use the loan for buildings if necessary. Um, so I know some of you guys are thinking, okay, so $5 million in addition to, it just sounds like the stupidest thing for us to do to cut our budget and say we're going to give half away this year while we're also trying to raise $5 million. And then you announce that we gave a million dollars to the poor and we already designated that the Children's Hunger Fund. All of this, you, you say, and then you want to raise five million on top of that, that sounds very stupid. And, and it is if there's no God. It, it really is a dumb, dumb, stupid plan um, if God doesn't exist. But he does and how many of us on a personal level have had those times in life when you really couldn't afford to give to God but you did anyways and what happened when you did that everything got taken care of didn't it and haven't you recognized in your own life that the more you give out the more it seems like you're blessed with and you feel like man I can't ever outgive God I've experienced that personally as an individual and uh, many of you have, and I want us to experience that as a church and say, you know what? I don't believe we can ever be hurt by giving to the poor. That's what the Bible teaches me. That, you know, he goes, you know, that uh, I forget the passage now, but he says, I'm old now. And one thing I've never seen 
is, is the generous, you know, the, the holy people, the righteous, watching their children beg for food. It's like the generous man. The generous man is always taken care of. And I just believe as a church, if we are generous and we give, you know what, the money will come in. I mean, in reality, what we're talking about is doubling what we brought in last year to accomplish all of this. And because we don't have space, we're not going to be able to double the number of people to give. So have you figured out what that means? Okay. <laughs> but here, here's the thing is I don't want anyone giving out of guilt or bummed out giving. See, because I look at this and I go, you know what? I want to figure out a way, you know, for my family to give as much as we can. I want to, I want to do this. Like, I want to know that I was a part of this. I want to know that I was a big part of this and trying to figure out this year. And I just pray to God. I go, Lord, here's a number that I'd like to give. I didn't even make this much last year. So I don't know how in the world I could give that much this year. But this is what I'd love to do somehow by faith. And you're the giver. I can only bless you if you bless me first. It's kind of silly, but it's like, God, I need you to bless me so that I can bless you in return. Not so that I can indulge and spend it on myself. It's to give back to you. And I want you to pray that way. To say, okay, if it's March 08, and can I, could I possibly double what I gave last year? Could I give way beyond that? Can I sell something? Can I do something? Because I want to. Not because I'm pressured to, or not because, oh, we're not going to make it. It's, it's this idea of, Lord, I want to joyfully be a part of this vision and do something huge with my life um, before it's all over. And so we are going to take an offering right now. And our prayer is in the next few weeks as we continue. And I'm going to keep this much more in your face um, so that you know about it without making it like a give, give, give type of thing. In fact, those of you here who are visiting, sorry you had to hear that. Um, We don't want any of your money. Um, We want to give to you. Uh, salvation, going to heaven is not about you pulling out your wallet. Okay, I don't know what you've heard on television or anything else, but that's just not the way it works. Salvation's a free gift. It's given to you. You don't earn it by doing good works. Okay, it's a free gift. Jesus died on the cross so that you could go to heaven. He rose from the grave to show you that there's life after death. And the Bible says it's a free gift. And it's because we've been freely given this that we give out of the joy of our hearts. That's why if it's guilt to you or a bummer to you, we say don't do it. Um, do it because you want to and you're excited about it. But for those who are here just trying to check it out, trying to understand a relationship with God, the last thing I'd want you to feel is that we want anything from you. We want you to experience the life that we have. We want you to take hold of the life that's truly life. And if you have questions, if you want some prayer, there'll be people up here by the prayer room to pray with you while we take our offering.